and welcome back to The Scriptures Are Real. I'm your host for today, Lamar, and this is my uh, co-host and really the regular host, but uh, today I'm going to host him. So how every, about that? Every now and then he lets me on. How are this you, Lamar? <laughs> I'm doing great. Um, okay, so let's set up it with today and jump right into it. Uh, this is very exciting. We're now getting into the chapters of Isaiah, and this is where some people's eyes glaze over, and they're like, oh, no, Isaiah, I don't understand it. And let me talk about, really quickly to set this up, I'll talk about uh, what I, um, a, t- uh, a professor that I had at BYU, and he referenced Isaiah like this. And here's how he said, he said, Isaiah has a, I wouldn't say unique, but he has a very uh, interesting style that sometimes Isaiah will be talking about a past event, uh, something that might have happened to a future, uh, I mean, a past king or a historical event. He might be relating that to his current day which is the people he's speaking to directly, but also relating to the future the or, or our day. Yeah. So he can possibly be talking about one, two, or all three of those things all at the same time. And then he had a, uh, again, uh, Brother Bassett had this handout of all these things where you could see where these things went back and forth. And he's talking about, you know, this king, but it relates to right now, you know, like you might say, well, you know, the past administration did this, but it's right now. But then also relates to our day as well. And, and anyway, it's just, he's a very fascinating character, Isaiah. And, um, but some people that, that gets hard for some people to understand sometimes because it, it's you know, sometimes you're back and forth. And, and, uh, what do you think, Carrie? Did I understand? I think I have that right. Does Doug yeah. have that right? Yeah. I think, uh, this is one of the things that is genius and amazing and beautiful and powerful about Isaiah when you get it, but when you are, are not fully, uh, it, it used to working through him that way it can make things really confusing where and, and you're right it's not that often that he's doing a past event but sometimes it is i would say it's almost always uh i i would never say anything is always with isaiah but it's almost always dealing with his present right and almost always uh intended to also at the same time as he's describing his present he's describing our day and the preparation for the second coming and there are rare occasions where it might be only the second coming uh, or only his day. I, I'm not sure if there are any that are only his day, but maybe um, there are several that are uh, meridian of time and maybe rarely only meridian of time. But most of the time uh, he is intending all of them and, and several different time periods at the same time. Uh, and, and as you said, sometimes he will jump back and forth a little bit. Like there will be times where he's talking about things are terrible right now. What's happening right now is the Northern kingdom is being destroyed and scattered. This is terrible, but there's hope for the future because eventually God will gather Israel back in. So he will jump 2,500 years in time in, in a uh, half a sentence. And then he's right back in his own time. Right. And so on. So, yeah. uh, he, he does that because that's the, during his dark days, the hope is the future. Yeah, right. And some fun. He also uses some kind of fun metaphors and he has some harsh metaphors, too. Oh, yeah. Some of the things he calls people and says about people is pretty hard. And when you say dark days, maybe people know and don't know. But I mean, was it three years? He he tore his clothes and wore sackcloth and ashes and was mostly naked, basically, in his in a so. He was in a dark place. Talk about being in a dark place. I mean, when you're sitting in a cave and dark sackcloth and ashes and mostly naked, I mean, this he was really distraught. Yeah. 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 And and he describes a couple of times seeing visions of destruction that just undid him. 
I think he even says I'm undone uh, and his knees quake and things like that. Uh, he, he sees terrible things happening around him and he's prophesying, trying to get people to repent so that these things don't happen. And he's largely failing. Well, you're like about, Mormon and Moroni, right? Right. Yeah. When they see their day and like the destructions about me, but they're going to soldier on anyway, you know, yeah. they're and they know they're not going to succeed. And, you know, we so, have so Isaiah will have some success with Jerusalem. Uh-huh. And that's that's really about it. Um, everyone else uh, has bad stuff happen to him because they don't listen. So, well, we have post-traumatic stress syndrome. I think he had pre-traumatic stress syndrome. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. Seeing this, he's, he's seeing it before it happens. And he's like, ah, oh, this is terrible. And yeah. then it does happen. And he's like, oh, I'm seeing it happen. And that's terrible. Yeah, so I think you're right. Guy is just being, he's getting pre-traumatic stress. We, well, we'll, we'll coin that on the phrase, on the yeah. podcast. That's a new phrase for it. Okay, so let's jump into chapter 28. Um, I don't know if you've already dealt with some of these other chapters um, with uh, with other guests, but we're going to focus today on 28 and 29. And uh, the members of the church will are going to recognize this as being some uh, prophecy toward our day. And um, it's going to be important for them. And what we want to do today is figure out uh, how to interpret these correctly and uh, and and just get a better understanding. And, and Carrie, you're the guy for this. So let's let's get into this. So let's start off in chapter 28. And I've heard other people talk this uh, these chapters as the woe chapters. The woe 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 woe. Yeah. So well, Isaiah has several woe chapters, or what we would call it. They begin with woe oracles. Um, which are, in a way, uh, a judgment oracle. You could also say this is when he's going to pronounce judgment that's coming upon someone, and often he tells us also why. Uh, and so you get these woe oracles, and, and 28 starts out with that, right? right? Woe to the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim. So this idea of uh, being drunk is going to be a major theme for chapter 28 and, and in some ways for 29. Um, and so let's note when he says Ephraim, this is using a part for the whole, right? So Ephraim is the lead tribe in the northern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel. So he's really talking about all the kingdom of Israel or the kind of roughly 10-ish tribes of the northern kingdom. Um, and, and he's going to say, you know, their, their glorious beauty is a fading flower. So and the, the head of the fat valleys are like those that overcome with wine. But so he's saying, you've got beauty, but it's so transient. What you're going, what you have going on, you may think this is wonderful. It's wonderful for half a second and it's gone. Um, and it is associated in some ways with their being drunk, um, but in some ways that's just a, an image of the the revelry and the focusing on joy and the things, or not joy, but but fun and the things of the world. Um, but he's going to keep using that that drunk uh, imagery. So um, he, in verse two, he says the Lord's going to bring all sorts of stuff on them. And in verse three, we get again the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden under feet. So uh, using that imagery again, and uh, and so on. Let's. Oh, go ahead. On drunkards. So on drunkards, like when you said someone's intoxicated, they're fully consumed with right. They're fully consumed yeah. with whatever it is. So like, so if someone's intoxicated with power, it doesn't mean they're it's alcohol. They're intoxicated. They are fully consumed with that power, or they're intoxicated by this idea or that idea. That's what he's getting at. Am I right? Yeah. And okay. yes, but he's certainly using the image of like actual drunkards, but you're absolutely right because uh, the thing he's going to keep coming out uh, against uh, the Northern kingdom for is their desire for um, the, what the world would say is fantastic. So this idea of um, 
power that they, they keep uh, those who are supposed to be taking care of the poor instead are keeping these things to enrich themselves. Um, and uh, they they party on the rooftops. We get some images of that and so on. So it's this idea of uh, trying to live it up in the world's way is really what they're intoxicated with. And he compares that, but they probably also are as part of that getting literally well, drunk. And so he's yeah, going to use that imagery against them. Yeah, this is the time of the groves and things like that. And part of that is getting intoxicated, right? When you yeah, go to the groves, yeah. you get drunk and debauchery and all that kind of stuff happens. So it, it's both those things. It's both metaphors. It's a metaphor of being consumed with the worldly lust, let's say, and yeah. literally being drunk and yeah, your mind. All of the carnal desires are are what they're consumed with. Right? Gotcha. Okay. All of them. The the thrills of the flesh, we could say, uh, whether that be wealth or, um, as you say, sexual sins or drunk or whatever else. And right. he keeps highlighting how how transient they are by comparing them to flowers and summer fruit. And these are things that are great and then they're gone. And he, and he just keeps doing that again and again in verse four and five, he does it and so on. Uh, let's, let's jump down to verse seven though. This is when we get some imagery that is really, it's not, it's powerful, but it's terrible imagery. Mm -hmm. um, so we get verse seven. Uh, they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. So even the people who are supposed to be their spiritual leaders, and, and in this case, he seems to be saying that besides whatever other carnal things, they really are drunkards. Yeah, this is actually, this is wine. We're talking about being drunk, drunk, drunk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's making them so they're not very useful. And of course, you never make good decisions uh, when that's your state either. Um, and then look at verse eight. And this is an image that in some ways he'll come back to a number of times. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there is no place clean. Right. This is and and I mean, I haven't been around a lot of drunk people, but we all know this idea that people drink so much that they start to throw up. Um, and that's what's happening. And, and so, I mean, they're spewing forth vomit and filthiness now of course he, he intends this to be thought of as literally but also spiritually these are the priests and prophets false prophets let's make sure we're clear but the people who are claiming to be prophets and that people are accepting them as prophets and you'll have to think through how that's happening in your life i mean i start to think about people who are shaping our thoughts in the ways uh, we view things from hollywood or uh radio city or wherever else right i mean right. we've got all sorts of this going on that and they're they're spewing forth uh spiritual vomit at us uh and we all say oh that's good stuff but anyway um it's a powerful image that they are just full of filthiness and vomit and that's what they're giving us right so that then we get verse nine which leads us into some verses that are fairly prominent and famous among members of the church but i hope we can um uh cast some more light on them all right so, so sorry what I said, excellent. Yeah, let's let's talk about this because I've heard some other people outside the church say, like, "Ah, you misinterpreted that." And I think what you're going to get out here is, I think there's room for both interpretations. You yeah, know, we're we might we don't want to overstate some things, but these definitely do refer to what we're talking about, but maybe not in the way the world sees it, the rest of the world, let's say. Yeah, I would agree, and most scholars would would uh, so would go along with one of the interpretations. I'll give this, but I want to show how it can actually mean a number of things, and that's the beauty of Isaiah, like you were just saying, right? So, um, 
whom shall he, and and this seems to re, uh, refer, the he seems to be the Lord, because it's, it's in verse 5 we've got, and that day shall the Lord be for a crown of glory to the residue of his people, so the people who aren't being eaten up in, in uh, spiritual drunkenness and so on. So whom shall he teach, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. So this is this kind of, we, we get milk first and then meat, right? So those who are... That immediately you get an image that some people are not prepared to really learn from God, and some people are prepared because they've they've taken the first steps and they're ready for the second and third and fourth steps. Right now, here's here's the translation that we kind of have to go through. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little, and we take that to mean he's going to teach us. Uh, this and when we understand it he'll teach us the next stage and if we understand that he'll teach us the next stage and i think that's a valid interpretation um, but let's look at what this really says because the, the difficulty is in translating into english because isaiah is making stuff up here all right the words that we're translating as precept and line are not really uh words they're what's they're the like partial words Right. Letters. Are there, what's, the, what's the Hebrew? Do you have the Hebrew up that you can tell us? Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I don't have it up, but I think I remember. So it's it's uh, kav lakav, kav lakav, tzav lakav, tzav lakav is what it, it says, right? And that in and of itself sounds like gibberish, right? That's I mean, it's it's trying to sound like gibberish. And uh, we translate it as these words because it is related to, I mean, they're, they're partial root words of actual words, all right? So... Um, if we if we get to kav and sav, um, the idea is that uh, the word that that is translated as um, precept comes from the word for commandment, all right. But it's not the full word for commandment. Um, it's it's kind of like saying mand, 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 instead of commandment, right? Right. And um, the precept, the, or, or uh, sorry, the the word we translate as line. Um, is is the word for like to measure and that's why they translated as line because it's like a measuring line right that that's how when you're uh especially in their day when you're measuring out how to build a building you use strings or ropes or a line right mm -hmm. so but it's not the whole word for that either so it's like saying meant meant ein ein meant meant ein ein right and it it, it just except for that they rhyme uh and so it, it's just sounds like babbling gibberish so why is why is isaiah babbling at us like this well look at the the next line um for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people so you see he's saying right there it sounds like he's he's when god is trying to teach this to these people it will sound like he's a stammerer or like he's speaking a foreign language that they don't understand he's going to give those people who are drunkards this is going to sound like gibberish to them. But for those who are spiritually prepared, they'll understand it, right? So we, we know that uh, Paul teaches us that um, the things of the Spirit are understood, are only understood by the Spirit, and it sounds like foolishness to the world. And that seems to be what he's uh, talking about here. And remember when Isaiah was first called in, back in chapter 6, he's told to prophesy in a way that those who are not prepared won't understand it. And so this seems to be kind of going back to that same idea. So you're going to have people in Isaiah's day who think that Isaiah is talking nonsense. What? 
Assyria will destroy us? No. What? We're being idolatrous? No. What? We're not really following God? We're not really following the prophet? No. You're the one who doesn't get it, Isaiah. Right? And I can hear echoes of this in our day. Oh, those, those old men who are leading the church don't get this. One day, um, and maybe it will be when they die and someone else comes in or something like that, but one day we'll get someone who really understands these things and can fix these these practices and doctrines that they've been teaching because they don't get it, right? I hear people say that today, and that's exactly what in uh, ancient Judah and Israel, they were. a lot of people were saying to um, Isaiah, you're babbling. You sound like you're drunk. You sound you know like what a I'm, drunken fool. I heard you say another time uh, when we were talking about this that uh, it was like baby talk sort of sounds like baby yeah. talk. And that's why it's exactly half, right. Like the half words. You get the half words because you like, you know, like babies don't get the whole yeah. sense. They don't understand the whole thing. And that's that's what you're getting at, I think, is that what they don't have the full knowledge, just like little children don't have the full knowledge, but they get a little bit. So man, man, you know, like for commandment. So they don't yeah. say your name right. They don't, they say part of the word, and that's yeah. what he's like. Hey, you're 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 gonna you're gonna think that that I'm talking baby talk to you because you think yeah. I'm you think I'm out out of my mind. But um, with stammering, listen with with another tongue, will he speak to his people? So he's talking about somebody else is gonna come along and do this. So who's gonna come along and do this? So well, and I think or he intends for this to be um, taken in two ways. I think he intends for this to be saying that to the the learned the puffed up in their own knowledge um the the false prophets and the priests that he's been talking about the leaders in ephraim to them what isaiah and god are speaking is going to sound like gibberish and baby talk mm -hmm. but in reality they're the ones who are spewing forth vomitous nonsense right so th th that's that's kind of the point the they sound so sophisticated to each other and to someone who's spiritually attuned, they listen to them and they say, man, you guys are just talking garbage. That doesn't really make sense. It's, it's just foolishness. Whereas they look at the spiritually prepared and they say, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense, right? Because we're, the, the division of understanding things through the spirit or understanding things from a world's point of view is growing larger and larger so that we understand each other less and less because uh of of this kind of we could call it a bifurcation or, or uh, uh enhancing whether we're moving towards truth or moving towards error in isaiah's day and in our day so we all sound like someone the other person is talking baby talk depending upon and and wh which one you understand depends upon whether you follow the world or you follow god and have the spirit with you but the world isaiah makes it clear is spewing forth vomit Right. Excellent. Well, that's a great description. And and we miss that. A lot of times we miss that. We think line upon line. Okay. So there's the Lex D. Acevedo, you know, uh, Saturday's warrior. And so yeah. line upon line, priest of come preset. Okay. So ah, that's what it is. So it's a little, but that's not exactly. I mean, you could say that. Yes. It, it, that's part of what it is. Part right? of what so it is. most Hebrew scholars would only say, no, they're talking about gibberish. Uh, that, that, and there's disagreement as to whether it, they're saying, that Isaiah is speaking gibberish to the priests or the priests are speaking gibberish to Isaiah, right? So people disagree. I think it's, he intends for it to be both. That's the beauty of Isaiah as he wants us to understand it to be both. And so I, I think that part is accurate that, that in a way he's saying you're all speaking gibberish to each other, but I think that the gibberish words he chose 
he chose carefully they, because they can be line upon line, precept upon precept. If we if we look at them carefully, right, we can say, oh, that's what the root word is. I don't think he could have chosen any kind of words to be just gibberish, but he intentionally chose words that really are related to line upon line, measuring things out and giving commandments. And that's the idea is that uh, God will give us a commandment. And if we keep those commandments, we get other commandments and we keep those commandments. He measures out more to us and, and he tells us more and more and more uh, and speaks to us more and more and more if we are acting on the things he's already given us. And if not, then we lose the things he's given us and we understand less and less and less of it. And all of that is is conveyed so cleverly, I think, and beautifully in using baby talk words that actually are based on some pretty important concepts. I think that's great. Uh, and this is the genius of Isaiah. And, and yes. it's no wonder that, that Christ has created the words of Isaiah because he has such a command on the language and he can convey so much meaning in a little space. Like, like we were talking about, like he can refer to different time frames all at the same time. He's also referring to more than one concept in this part here. Like, yeah, we're both talking gibberish or we don't understand each other, but also there's more into it. So anyway. Yeah, and it applies in their day and our day, right? And their day, there's this yeah. gap between those who are spiritually tuned and those who aren't. And there's certainly that gap in our day. So it's it's meant to be understood in more than one way and applying to more than one time period. That's right. that's impressive prophesying, right? <laughs> Right. Excellent. Very good. I'm, I hope uh, the people are taking notes on this because this is uh, this is fun stuff. And hopefully we're, we're unraveling Isaiah a little bit so that it's not so eyes glazed over. What is he talking about? You know, yeah. he's got some fun stuff tucked in here. And and look how we'll keep drawing on on this imagery. Um, so let's go to verse 15. He says, because you say we've made a covenant with death and with hell. Are we at agreement? And so he seems to be referring to the idea that they have. uh turn to remember that the northern kingdom has turned to syria uh to make a pact to uh resist um assyria and in some ways they're turning to egypt and so on and uh he says you're relying on your your pacts your alliances and in reality these are pacts and alliances with death and hell because that's where this leads you you're not turning to god and relying on god so this leads you to death and hell and and then uh, we get in verse 16, he says, because of this, God says, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. So now he's back to the imagery of building. And remember that the line is uh, that he's talking about is uh, <laughs> an image of building, right? You're stretching out these lines to be able to build a building. And he continues with that in verse 17. Judgment also will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. So the, the line helps you go... Uh, horizontally right and the plummet helps you it's a line with a, a, a weight on the end so it helps you go uh vertically so it's all about measuring out buildings right but it's this line upon line precept upon precept uh and hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters shall overflow the hiding place so what he's basically saying is for those who are spiritually attuned i'll help you lay out a, a foundation that you can stand on but when I come in judgment, those who haven't used my line and my plummet are going to be swept away. Right? Their, their lies and their vomit are going to be swept away in the storm that's coming. 
And your covenant with death in verse 18 shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand when the overflowing scourge shall pass through you. Then you shall be trodden down by it. And in some ways, he's talking about Assyria coming in and sweeping them away and sweeping away all their vomit, right? Um, but it has spiritual applications for our day as well. Uh, so, but you, you can see how he keeps drawing on this, um, this idea of both their, their spiritual drunkenness and giving you precept upon precept, line upon line to measure out a sure foundation of truth. So that in some ways he's comparing, you can stand on a foundation of truth or lies and, and the lies come from the world and the truth comes from me. You decide what you want to do. Excellent. That's very good. Uh, and we, we talked about that some in, our, in come follow me in Ecclesiastes as well about, uh, about yeah. foundations and, and, um, and what's true and what's not lies of the world kind of thing. So excellent. Yeah. Now we'll we see him. He takes a different tack to kind of uh, explain the same ideas in verses 23 through 29. Uh, and these are images that are sometimes hard for people to understand, but he talks about, he says, give ear uh, and hear my voice, hearken and hear my speech. So this idea, I'm going to speak to you. I'd like you to listen to me. Mm -hmm. Right, Those of you who are spiritually attuned will listen to me. And again, this harkens back to Isaiah 6, the Savior, when he gives all these parables in Matthew 13, and they ask, why are you speaking in parables? He actually quotes Isaiah 6, and he says, I'm doing this so that those who are prepared will understand, right. and those who aren't won't understand. So this is all that same imagery. But but here he's going to use some uh, agricultural imagery instead of building imagery. He says that the, the it talks about the plowman who's plowing all day to sow and breaks it open. Um, and then he talks about, does he not cast abroad in verse 25, does he not cast abroad the fitches and scatter the cumin and cast in the principal wheat and the appointed barley and rye in their place for God doth instruct him to discretion and doth teach him. So if you want to understand what he's saying, you have to look at, okay, what, what are these plants and how do you plant right. them? And fitches and cumin are stuff where you just kind of break all the ground up, not necessarily in rows, but uh, although you can do that if you want to irrigate, but if you're going to rely on rain, you don't have to do that. You just break all the ground up and they relied on rain, by the way. And then you, you scatter them for fitches and cumin. You just toss it. Um, and they grow best if you get clumps that land uh, the way that happens when you just toss seeds. So, Whereas with, Oh, go ahead. Like sowing, like when you're sowing seeds, just, when you toss yeah. It out there. right yeah just totally tossing it out there as opposed to wheat and barley where you get rows and, and you rows. space them carefully every so many inches or uh you know thumbs or whatever apart um and uh that's so basically saying you plant some things one way and you plant other things another way and then he goes on to talk about the the harvest in verse 27 fishes are not threshed with a threshing instrument Neither is the cartwheel turned upon the cumin, but the fitches are being out with the staff and the cumin with the rod. But bread corn, or that's grain, is mm -hmm. bruised, uh, and, and so on. So, and these things are threshed in different ways as well. Fitches and cumin, you have to to uh, pull out gently. If you if you beat them with a cartwheel or a threshing sledge, um, then it just destroys them. Uh, so you you pull those out uh, gently. But with uh, the wheat and the barley and the rye, you put those on on stone and then you bring a cart and, and a sled with rocks in it and you bring it over it and you beat the things to death. And that's how you get those kernels out of there. So, again, you've got different ways of planting 
and different ways of harvesting. Sorry, I, I, what were no, you saying? No, I, I was just saying that, that yeah, the different ways of, of cracking the, the, uh, the sh what do they call the wheat, the sheath or whatever. That you yeah. crack it so what is he talking about there? What, what's the point that he's trying to make there? He that have ear that give a mirror, that's what Christ says. He says, yeah. so what is he saying there? What's the I point? I think he's saying, again, I will teach you according to the way that you are ready. I don't give everyone the same way of teaching and working with you. Uh, and, you know, I don't just do a shotgun to everyone. I'll give each person. I will sow you and harvest you the way that you are prepared to be sown and harvested. In other words, I'll teach you line upon line, precept upon precept, just the way that you are ready for. However much you are ready for, I'll measure out the next thing to you in the way that is necessary to happen for you, which is beautiful and comforting stuff, right? Yeah, that's great. I think it has to do with that, you know, if I'm just thinking about as you're talking about, the reason that these plants grow this way is the root systems, right? Yeah. So the root systems of barley and the things that, that grow in rows grow down and they grow strong like this, but the cumin is it's more of a surface thing. So And they connect to each other, which is right. part of how they, you know, it's kind of like strawberry patch or, or mints or whatever. All their roots are connected to each other underneath and that's how they survive. Yeah. So people are, I, this is a great one. I hadn't thought of it this way before. Um, but I like the like what you're getting there. The, the Lord is going to reach us where He's going to reach us because we don't have to all be the same. We don't right. all have to be like the bishop or and do things in this way. This guy does very methodical ways, and Sister So and So she does things different. They like to do this and they like to gather. You know, they have yeah. different ways of learning, and I like that. Your root systems are different, and you're going to gain your nutrients from different ways of doing that, and that can be okay. I mean, we need to be unified in some things. You know, yeah. we have to be unified to go the right direction, but we can but all God learn will reach you the way that you're ready to be reached. right. Right. That's perfect. I, that's a, I hadn't thought of that in that way before, but, uh, but uh, I like the, I like that. That's really great. I've learned some new things today. So that's excellent. Thank you. And I think it ties in well with the whole line upon line precept upon precept idea, right? So it's gibberish right. to some people that they, uh, they're the people who aren't going to be planted at all. Right. Or they're planted and they put it on rocky ground and they right. don't grow or however you want to say it. Right. Scorches them, yeah. Yeah. But but for people who are ready to receive it, then God will work with them in whatever ground and whatever root system they they are prepared to be. Right. Very good. That's excellent. That's a great way to finish off 28. And, and then yeah. it doesn't negate it doesn't negate the fact that we talk about um, line upon line uh, in, in the church. We talk about being taught. Little here, there, here, a little there, a little. That still is not. It's still there. It's included yeah. in that. But there's more to it than just like he's teaching. It's like you're. You don't want to leave out the part that the rest of the world, the world does not hear that at all. They hear gibberish. And yeah. You hear the beginnings of what you're supposed to hear. You you hear the beginnings of language of Lord's language. And and Nephi will use this idea line upon line precept upon precept very much in a line upon line precept upon precept way. But I would guess Nephi understood the different ways this was uh, could be taken. And I think if you look at it with that in mind, you can see well Nephi's got a touch of that as well. Uh, I think he understands that some people aren't going to get this. Uh, that to some people this is gobbledygook or baby talk, right? Right, because we we're, we think we know that the Isaiah is on the brass plates, right? So he's he's read this as well, so, right? Well, and he quotes it. I mean, he he quotes oh, yeah. twenty eight and yeah. twenty nine. He quotes line upon line, precept upon precept, those lines. So and that's where in the church we get that we feel that oh, that's what Isaiah means, and and he does yeah. mean we're not taking that away. It's just there's a little more understanding in the yeah. Old Testament, and we bridge with some of our other our other uh, uh, religious. Um, 
groups that b- believe it's different. I think there's room for both of those. Well, that sets exactly. up nicely. Um, what were we talking about? Do you want anyone you want to talk about? On, no, no, let's let's transition to 29. Okay, so this is excellent because this is a great setup for the next part. And this is a, a personal story for me. When I was on my mission, I met with uh, some other guys um, from from the, the Lutheran faith. And, and they were, I think they were honestly, they weren't trying to just catch me as a missionary and bust me, but they really wanted to know what these missionaries were talking about. And my uh, companion and I went there, Elder Outerkirk and I went to there. And their names were Frank and Mike. And, um, and they said, and, and we talked about this, this one here. Now, um, LeGrand Richards wrote a great book called A Marvelous Work and Wonder, which is quoted in here. Is there anything you want to talk about first before we get to the Marvelous Work and Wonder? Uh, no, I mean, we'll, we'll have to, we'll go back and forth in a couple okay. of ideas in this chapter. So this is a great okay. way to start. So anyway, I'm meeting here with Mike and Frank, with my companion. We're talking about this, and we're talking about the marvelous work that's about to And remember that this is also in D&C 4. A marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. Therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God. So we're talking about this marvelous work and wonder, and it's mentioned here in this chapter. And um, and then we, in that there, it says in, in, in uh, Isaiah 29, that they shall speak out of the ground and out of the dust. It's verse 4. And thou shalt be brought down and shall speak out of the, out of the ground and thy speech shall be low out of the dust and thy voice shall have one that hath a familiar spirit. Now, this is what they said to me. They said, well, you know, we look at this familiar spirit and, and in the church, we might interpret that as, oh, that's a familiar spirit. Like someone like you're familiar, like something you, you've known before. Yeah, but what yeah they it strikes said, a chord with you because you've somehow kind of always known this. Right. Now, what they said to me was this. Well, we researched that phrase, and the Hebrew phrase really means like a soothsayer or a wizard and all those ones that peep and mutter. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that, but I'm going to go research it. And I went through all the different ones that I had. And again, as a missionary, I, I had limited resources, and I was quite young then, so I I wasn't familiar with this. So I found that I'm like, you know what? It, all the references that I have also say it refers to like a soothsayer. Everywhere that the Old Testament says familiar spirit it yeah. talks about a soothsayer or, or a necromancer wizard or a necromancer you know one of those people which yeah. generally we even think to get so i'm going to be the missionary here so i'm the missionary and i, I come to my institute teacher and i'm like hey uh brother mulestein you know frank just told me that this is a familiar spirit one that peeps mother are we talking about you know the nephites or joseph smith being a soothsayer what are we talking about <laughs> so great question and i'll say frank's not wrong but he's not getting it all right either there's 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 he's getting part of a larger picture mm-hmm. so uh and I, but i think that this is an important point because uh you know he talks about isaiah we'll talk about this marvelous work and a wonder i think it's verse 14 we'll get to that mm-hmm. nephi picks up on that and definitely says that the coming forth of the book of mormon is a fulfillment of that nephi is pretty clear about that oh yeah um, in, and, our, in the, the chapter heading in, in the lds scriptures a people and it says in quotes and the nephites will speak as a voice from the dust so this is in our doctrine this is what it's what it's referring to yeah and it, then it talks about the sealed book and it says in parentheses mm-hmm. in our heading the book of mormon Right. So, again, this is one of these times, and, and I, I think I've said this on an earlier episode of the podcast, but I can't remember for sure, so I just want to make sure we say this. The uh, the chapter headings – oh, I know. We, we talk about this in uh, depth and one that comes out also this week um, in an interview with Josh Sears. But the chapter headings give you an interpretation, not all interpretations. 
And so we don't want to take them as uh, they're valid, but not comprehensive. Let's put it that way, right? Okay. So don't rule out all other possible meanings of Isaiah. Isaiah intended more than one meaning, and there's no way that these short chapter headings can cover all potential meanings of Isaiah. Even my 500 and whatever page commentary, I often found myself saying, oh, there's so many more possible meanings, but I can't keep writing more because now it will be a 5,000 page commentary right. and no one will print that or buy it. So, right. which is um, the genius of Isaiah. He can, he can be meaning more than one thing at, at, at a time and multiple things. Many times. Yeah. So let's look at um, this chapter and we'll see how it ties with the, the previous chapter. Often the chapters just keep going, right? So don't make this chapter break too big of a thing. There is a slight transition we'll address, but it's it's still continuing with the same ideas and themes. And we'll look at how this can be taken a number of ways, including um, some of the ways we take it in the restoration. But as so often, I think we'll understand it best if we first look at how would this have been taken in Isaiah's day, and then we can uh, apply it to other time periods better. So we start in verse one, and this is where we get the idea of a transition. He's moving from talking to Ephraim to Judah, because he's going to talk about the city where David dwelt or the city of David. Right. And let's be clear um, in the scriptures, all but one time when you talk about David's city or the city of David, you mean Jerusalem. Luke, who was a Greek who had never been in the area and didn't know really uh, much about what was going on. He called Bethlehem the uh, city of David. And, uh, okay, so David was from Bethlehem, so that can be valid, and we can allow Luke to say that. But don't get confused and think that it means Bethlehem any other times. That's the only time. So uh, it's Jerusalem the rest of the time. So we get, woe to Ariel. We'll come back to that word. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. All right, that's that's Jerusalem for sure. So we have to figure out what in the world does he mean by Ariel. Um, well, Ariel, the Hebrew word Ariel means hearthstone. So it's possible that he's saying, the, uh, woe to the hearthstone of Jerusalem. Um, but I think it's more likely you can also, so R-E-L is either hearthstone or it's uh, two words put in construct form in Hebrew. So uh, R-E-L mean lion of God. Uh, and I think that's probably the more likely interpretation. Woe to the lion of God, the lion of God, because that's a, a phrase that's given to David. All right. So woe to lion of God and to, and to Jerusalem because David dwelt there. So it seems to be saying woe to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city where David dwelt just with a, a nickname for jerusalem um, kind of like you know the windy city or something like that for the right, big which apple is, which is still uh, by the way the coat of arms on on jerusalem is a lion yeah yep and in yeah. fact you'll see it all over the place because all the manholes have it on yeah. there um, <laughs> that's, right. that's right so uh it's it's definitely how the city of david is thought of as david's city and so it's the the city of the the lion of god um, so this works really well. And so it is kind of like saying, what are the big apple, the big apple, the, the city where, I don't know, we could choose a, a Rockefeller dwelt, right? Or something like that. Um, but anyway, so it's, it's woe to Jerusalem is what he's saying. And in verse two, he says, he's going to distress them. And verse three, I will camp against thee round about and will lay siege against thee with a mount and I will raise forts against thee. So God is saying he's going to lay siege to Jerusalem. Well, we know that actually happens. God says to humble them, he'll bring in the Assyrians, and the Assyrians actually lay siege to Jerusalem and uh, camp against it, right? So there's a pretty real and literal fulfillment of this in Isaiah's day. Isaiah's prophesying about it before it will happen, but it's going to happen, mm -hmm. All right? And then we get verse 4, and thou shalt be brought down, and shalt speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust, and thy voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. So let's let's talk about um, kind of how this literally happens and about the meaning of familiar spirit and see if we can get something out of this. Um, 
we know that the, the people in Jerusalem, some of them died, but what happens more than Jerusalem, by the time the Assyrian army gets to besiege Jerusalem in 701 BC, they have already gone through all of the countryside of Judah and destroyed everything. Some little villages may have escaped, but every sizable town was destroyed, laid waste with tons of people killed and often in brutal ways. But death has just swept through the kingdom of Judah in a huge and decimating and devastating way. So many people have been killed. And what the Assyrians would do to intimidate people is they would uh, and try and get them to, to capitulate is they would say, OK, the, the, the town that they conquered before Jerusalem was Lachish and that the town. Well, it's not a town. It's a city. And the city that they conquered before um, Lachish was um, uh, Azekah. So they took prisoners from Azekah and they went outside of Lachish. And we know this both because we have some descriptions of it, but also the Assyrian king depicts this on his palace walls. So we we have like, as it were, the uh, the photos of it uh, kind of right. they're, they're the carvings of it. Um, and they are torturing the people from Azekah in front of the, outside the walls, but in front of the eyes of the people of Lachish to scare them. So they're, they're, yeah, they're impaling them. They're flaying them. They're cutting their hands and their feet off and all these kinds of things to kill them in a very painful way in front of the people of Lachish to get them to, to give in. Now we have the account in both Isaiah and second Kings of the army coming to Jerusalem and the, the representatives of the King of Assyria going out and at Rob Sheke and others yelling to Hezekiah's ministers and to all the people in Jerusalem saying, Hey, you should give up. There's no way you're going to make this. It doesn't talk about them doing this torturing thing, but I can't imagine they weren't doing that. I would guess that that was happening as well. And if you, and for those of you listening, Terry covers this in another uh, podcast earlier on about the city of Lakish. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and the same thing, this, this, this horrible stuff that happens right in front of the gate to get him like, hey, we, don't make us break down the gate or this is going to happen. If you let us in, this won't happen to you. We'll just be all friendly and just take you over anyway. Yeah. You know, but yeah. just, you won't have to go through this anyway. So, it's, yeah, it won't be quite as bad for you. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, when we did Second Kings 18. Uh, if you want to go back to that episode, we talk about it in, in the Second Kings 18 episode. Whether it's an episode that covers a number of chapters, including Second Kings 18. Um, so you have a lot of people who are dead and buried as they are coming to Jerusalem to to camp against Jerusalem. All right. Uh, so let's keep that in mind. And let's talk about a familiar spirit. So a familiar spirit in uh, Israelite culture is someone who you know that is dead, that's passed on. Um, and so the reason why it's almost every time a familiar spirit is brought up, it's condemned is because it's brought up in the context of condemning the wrong way of trying to interact with the dead uh, because they, they had... Um, in the cultures around them, there were lots of people who would, uh, you, you can call them a witch, the witch of Endor is one, uh, or necromancers, but people who would say, if you want to get help from someone who's passed on, and this is huge in Egypt, by the way, and, and God first starts warning them about this as they come out of Egypt, where they write letters to the dead and they ask people from the dead for knowledge, they ask them for help, and so on, um, but it happens in the cultures in Canaan as well, and so you get people and basically you have like a seance. Uh, or something like that, where you have someone who says, I will communicate with the dead for you. But what they say is, I'll communicate with the, a familiar spirit for you. A, a, a dead relative is a familiar spirit. Um, and 
Uh, for example, Saul, this is the problem he has when he wants to know if he should go to battle against uh, or what's going to happen when he goes to battle against the Philistines. And usually you consult a prophet about that, but he's uh, far enough removed from the spirit that he doesn't feel like he can consult a prophet. So he goes to the witch of Endor. Right. And I was going to bring this up. What's it, that? It's probably, I was going to bring this up. And this is probably worth reading that one because it will clarify what the familiar spirit, because what you're saying is why Saul gets in trouble is not that he does not because he he is in trouble for wanting to know this thing, but instead of going to the prophet, he went to a soothsayer. Yeah, that's it's right. okay. It's okay to get spiritual messages from other people, dead or angels or otherwise. That's not a bad thing if it comes from the correct source. Is my is the point, right? That's exactly right. And we have lots of stories in our church history where we believe that God sent someone from the other side of the veil to communicate with someone. Right. Right. A familiar spirit came and it was a good thing. And in fact, we could say that Moroni appearing to Joseph Smith was a familiar spirit talking to Joseph Smith. I mean, right. I don't know how closely related they are, but it's still it's someone from the dead that's sent to give Joseph Smith information. Well, he quotes the Bible. So we quote something that's familiar. So, yeah. right. So yeah. anyway, there's a little bit of a, a, a that whole thing, the concept of what a familiar spirit is. Is it familiar because you heard it before? Um, or because you're familiar or, you know, but anyway, but that was the, the trip up that, that Frank and Mike had on this yeah. thing. Is they, they were like, and it's true that most references to the familiar spirits are those, but it's, it's not the familiar spirit that's bad. It is the way you go about it. Exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. So familiar spirits or uh, passed on uh, dead and most often passed on relatives that are dead, but or someone that you know, but but passed on dead in general. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. It's whether it's coming from God or not. That's the question. Uh, and how are you trying to seek it? And 99% of the time they're mentioned, it's the wrong way. But in this case, it's, it's a good way. So let's put ourselves in the uh, shoes of Isaiah's audience. Um, and in the time when he is prophesying about, okay, so he's prophesying saying this will happen. Let's talk about when it does happen, when the Assyrians come in and they lay siege to Jerusalem, when they camp against it, as it mentions in verses one through three, right? right. So now there are people who have been brought down. Judah has been brought down, and there are tons of Jews or Judahites that are buried in the ground and are speaking out of the ground, low out of the dust. And it's like a familiar spirit out of the ground because what they're testifying is that their very deaths and the fact that they're moldering in the dust is testifying that you better repent or you join us here. So when he says thou, who's he saying? Who is thou that he's speaking to? He's it's speaking Judah. To Judah. Okay, so he's speaking to Judah, the ones that are dead already or the ones Both. who are Okay, great. So, well, they're not dead already, right? He's telling them, by the time I'm camping against Jerusalem, most of you are going to be dead, speaking out of the ground to the people who are there in Jerusalem, and hopefully the people in Jerusalem are going to recognize it and respond, which, by the way, they do. Um, the, the deaths of their countryside and the decimation of their countryside has to be part of the motivation for listening to Isaiah and Hezekiah and getting rid of their idolatry and renewing their covenant with God and following God. Um, and that's why they're spared, because they responded to what the prophet was teaching them. But I think at least partially because they were seeing what happened as their relatives were killed 
and put in the ground. Excellent. Okay, so that's great. This is something that we haven't we we refer to this as the Nephites a lot of time, but it's not exactly the Nephites. It could be some of the well, Nephites. when we look at it in different time periods, and it is right. Yes, exactly. Because again, he can speak on all these time frames simultaneously. That's exactly exactly right. So, but uh, so let's think of this um, before we go to the Nephite one. I, I hope that this is happening for us by reading. The Old Testament this year, our Israelite ancestors and relatives should be speaking to us out of the dust. And we should be responding. We should be learning this record. The Bible is them speaking to us out of the dust, telling us you should learn from our lessons and our mistakes and what happened to us. Learn from us. All right. So this is part of why I like my website is called outofthedust.org, and I've right. got an Out of the Dust Facebook page and all sorts of stuff because what I'm really trying to do is help the uh, our ancient uh, culture and, and background and ancestors and relatives be able to speak to us today. That's That's part of what you and I are trying to do right now. As we make the scriptures real, we want them to speak out of the dust and become real to us. Right. It's also why, like, we've got the logo as the the scarab beetle and the pyramid, because mm -hmm. the scarabs are are this idea of rebirth that that which is, is dead will become alive again, and so uh, we want all these ancient things to speak to us again, so that we also can be reborn. And the idea of a pyramid is this idea that that uh, heaven descends down to you, so that you can be live again, and so on. So it's all kind of tied together to this idea that we we take what God has given us from these ancient prophets and we allow it, them to be, become alive just enough in our lives to help us learn from them and then us turn to God so we can be reborn. I hope that this is a familiar spirit speaking to you out of the dust as we do this study of the Old Testament right now. And I hope Isaiah is a familiar spirit that is speaking to you out of the dust. Those are one of the interpretations that I hope we get from this. That is excellent. Yeah, excellent. What lessons are we drawing from the scriptures that apply to us today? Which is what, why we read the scriptures in the first place. What lessons, not just a history lesson, you know, like what happened then, is what lessons are they telling us today? What things did the prophets then say to us that still speaks to us today? Still, all these many thousands of years later, still relevant to us and why? Because these things still apply to our day. Yeah, and, and in our theme that you and I keep doing where we are communing with God, one of the, these kinds of communion should be that we let these uh, ancient prophets and ancestors speak to us as well. We should have communion with them through their writings. And that should open us up then to communion with the Holy Ghost to both guide us and sanctify us. So Excellent. Which turns the hearts of the children to their fathers and the fathers to the children. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. That's Brings exactly right. Yeah. And that phrase in Malachi is specifically about the covenant and learning from our uh, uh, about our ancestors who were in a covenant and what happened with them. And here we are learning about ancestors who when they were breaking the covenant, this happened to them and then they repented and they kept the covenant and good things happened to them. And so our hearts are being turned to those fathers and their covenant. And uh, we are learning and being touched by them. It's, it's perfect. So all of these are fulfillments of this prophecy, right? And, um, and then, as you said, another time period is the Nephites. They're also Israelite relatives whose record was buried in the ground 
and then comes out of the ground. They died and they're buried in the ground and their story comes to us out of the ground and should speak to us. Right. So the Nephite record and it, it, what it does for us should be exactly like what we were just talking about with the record of the Jews. And the Book of Mormon makes it clear that both of these records should work together and do that thing together. Um, and I think we can throw the Doctrine and Covenants in there as well now, and that those people should speak to us from the dust. And it's part of why we learn about uh, pioneer ancestors, whether you're descended from them or not. Uh, sure. Learn about them and learn about your own ancestors and, and let them speak to you out of the dust. All of those are valid fulfillments of um, a familiar spirit speaking to us out of the dust. There's still much more in 29 I want to go through, but I, I, that makes a, just a nice full circle about how what we're trying to do. This is, the, this is why you have all those things called out of the dust, all those different platforms, and why we read the scriptures, how this brings us together. It, this is a nice culmination of the gospel all right at this point. This is why we study the scriptures. People are like, well, I have to read these dumb things. It's old and, and the weird language. And I don't, uh, it's millions of years ago and who cares? This is why, this is why it matters. This is why it matters to us now is that these people are no different than you and I in, in their foundation. They're on their commute and they're trying to commune with God. They're doing their thing and we can learn from their lessons. And this is what happens. So verse four is for our day, even though it was for Jerusalem at the time, we get just as much out of verse four today as the people who had the Assyrians at their gate. Amen. Okay, good. All right. Now, let's go on, though. Isaiah is not that far different from Lehi and Nephi. When, when's this happening right here? When this, so this is uh, somewhere around like 730 to 720 BC, and he's prophesying about 700 BC. So Nephi is like 100 years later. Yeah. Hundred years later, which is, you know, our it's less than the founding of the United States. Let's say so. This is like us saying Joseph Smith's period, eighteen sixties, eighteen fifties, eighteen, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so that's like that's like two hundred years ago, even, right? So, um, yeah. So it's uh, like us saying uh, Heber J. Grant. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's even better because hundred Joseph, Joseph yeah, right. F. Smith. That's probably about. It's Joseph F. Smith to Heber J. Grant. Well, Heber J. Grant's president of the church, like in the mid nineteen twenties. So yeah. So that'd be about right. Heber J. Well, Grant. Yeah. Yeah. Even better. Even better. Um, so we're talking about that. We can. I didn't. I wasn't around with Heber J. Grant, but that he's not that far away. He's not as far back as Brigham Young and you know Wilford Woodruff. He's not eighteen hundreds. He's nineteen hundreds. Yeah. So I'm just worried about him throwing a baseball. I can relate to exactly. So Lehi is not that far removed from Isaiah. Yeah. And Nephi knows his writings and things like that. So they're not in the exact same generation or whatever, but they're still not that far away. They remember the destruction to so the destruction of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem escapes destruction at this point because they do listen to, to Isaiah. Right. But they don't escape in another hundred years. Right. The Babylonians are back and they're going to, you know, you know, they're going to wipe out everything. Babylonians, right? Yeah. Babylon. Yeah. The Babylonians are going to be back in another hundred years and they're going to wipe out Jerusalem, which is what Lehi and his family escaped from the Babylonians. But at this point they escaped from the Syrians. So here's why I'm bringing that up. We're talking about this low out of the dust. The ground should be a familiar spirit. This is a hundred years before the Nephites really get out of there. However, Again, um, we're, this is thou shalt be brought down. So who is thou? Again, is it's the people that already have died as a as a testament 
to what's going to happen in Jerusalem. This is also speaking to Jerusalem. You're going to be brought down low. So it's referring to, again, three time periods, people who have already died, the people in Jerusalem at the time who may die if they don't pay attention, but then eventually do get creamed by the Babylonians, and then the people in Nephi later who speak out of the dust to the people. So there, yeah. here's an example of all three time periods in one shot that, yeah. that, uh, that, uh, that Isaiah is referring to. So when we as members of the church say, oh, this is the Book of Mormon, and then other people come along and go, that, that's huh, not even the same time period. We're not even talking about the Babylonians. We're talking about the Assyrians now. We can say it applies equally across all those time frames. With Isaiah, the, the answer is usually all of the above. Yeah, it, it, perfect. Yeah, uh, answer. It's, it's D. The answer is D, all of the above. Yeah. So it happens all those ones, and it applies to us as, as well, even though we're way, we're thousands of years um, off what Isaiah is or where Isaiah was um, time-wise, but this still works for us today. When you read the scriptures and they speak as one out of the dust and you hear that voice, you are the same as the people in Jerusalem who were like, oh, uh, yeah, Isaiah is right. We got to get ourselves together. Yeah. Now, let's look at, uh, I, I agree, and let's look at how he's going to tie this together with some of the themes in the and in chapter 28 and this idea of drunkenness so okay. uh when he talks about verse 7 and the multitude of all the vision or all the nations that fight against ariel so he's talking about still when when things come to uh against jerusalem but think of how okay but they also come against the jerusalem and like the eyes day like you said or they come against the nephites and in some ways there the world is camping against us right now then we get verse it should be at the end of verse seven um all those the distressers shall be as a dream of a night vision so this is what it's going to be like for those who are distressing us or jerusalem or whatever uh and sometimes that distress is coming from inside it's these drunkards that he's been warning us about and sometimes it's the assyrians it's, it's both uh all, both a and b right so right. uh verse eight it shall be even as when an hungry man dreameth and behold he eateth but he awaketh and his soul is empty or when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that shall fight against Mount Zion. So everyone who is fighting against righteousness, they're doing so because they feel like this is going to satisfy them. This is going to fulfill a need. But it doesn't any more than eating in a dream fulfills your hunger or drinking in a dream fulfills your your uh, your thirst, right? right? It just doesn't happen. You think it's going to, and then it turns out, no, that was nothing. It absolutely did nothing for me. And this is true of any way, anytime we pursue the values of the world in any way, anytime we pursue the values of the world in any way at all, it is like eating or drinking in a dream. But let's let's keep going on because we get verse nine. Stay yourselves and wonder, cry ye aloud and cry, they are drunken. So the people who are attacking or, or fighting against, whether from within or without, fighting against Zion or God's true covenant people, they're drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. Right. So he's drawing in this drunken imagery, but here he's making it clear, you know, in, in the earlier one. Some of it is actual literal drunkenness, and some of it is spiritual drunkenness. This time, he's just talking about spiritual drunkenness. And he's, then he's going to say he's going to pour the spirit of the deep sleep upon you and, and so on. Um, and that's when we get to verse 11. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. 
And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned. Um, but in the end, it's the one who's not learned who is going to, to understand it, right? And that's where we get this marvelous work and a wonder um, that we read about um, in verse 14. Uh, I behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. So think about that in the context of what we were talking about in chapter 28, because all of this is designed to go together. We get uh, from chapter 28 through here as part of the same thing. Mm -hmm. The people who are not spiritually prepared will find the teachings of God, whether that be in the Bible or the Book of Mormon, or any way that God gives us his word, it's going to be sealed to them, and they can't understand it because they think they already know and understand everything and because they're relying on the world instead of asking, being humble and saying, God, teach us. So they will not get line upon line and precept upon precept. Instead, it's just sealed to them. It's gobbledygook, it's gibberish, it's baby talk. Right. But the unlearned, the person who is humble enough to recognize, oh, I don't know everything I need to know, and the only source for me to get it from is God. To them, they learn line upon line, precept upon precept. They, God will teach them uh, according to the way that they need to be planted and sowed and harvested, and uh, he will open the sealed book for them, and it will be a, a marvelous work. It's, it's hidden to the wisdom of men, but it's open to those who are open to God. And so I think chapter 28 and chapter 29 tie together. Is one of the interpretations of that the Book of Mormon? Absolutely. Is it a really, really important interpretation of this? Absolutely. But it has an application in Isaiah's day before the Book of Mormon was even thought of being written. It has an application in, in uh, Jeremiah's day when they still hadn't even written one line on brass plates yet. Um, right. or, well, not on brass plates, but on the plates that Nephi is going to make later. Um and it has an interpretation for all of Nephi's people, and it has an interpretation for us today as the beneficiaries of the writings of the Nephites and the ancient Israelites in the Bible and the Book of Mormon. It just all ties together in this wonderful, amazing way. Excellent. Great are the words of Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is incredible how he can uh, bring this all together so well, isn't it? Um, and uh, I think... I mean, it's just so beautiful to recognize the the unity of Scripture. We get teachings, like I said, Paul talks about that the things of the Spirit are only understood by people who are, are in the Spirit. Um, jo Joseph Smith teaches similar things. Nephi teaches us that. Isaiah is teaching us this. This is a constant theme in Scriptures. Uh, Christ taught us this. If you're prepared and looking to be taught from God, you will. And if not, it won't make any sense to you, and you'll make fun of everyone who is actually learning from God. Right. It'll be gibberish to you. Yep. Or and sealed. So you'll stand in a great and spacious building and point your finger at them and make fun of them. There you go. There it is again. Yeah. Yeah. These things, these these themes that we see among people are, I don't want to say eternal, but they are, at least for this earth, they, they repeat and repeat and repeat. These cycles repeat. And yep. it's on us to to realize what part of the cycle we're in and get ourselves out of that cycle. When the, when we see that pride creeping in, we get out. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's great. Let's, so that's, let's jump to the last couple of verses of the chapter to just see how, how they tie this okay. up. All right. So we'll go to verse 22. Therefore, thus saith the Lord who redeemed Abraham. So 
very clear he's talking covenant stuff and how he's going to take care of covenant people who are ready to listen to him. Concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. The reason why he has been ashamed and his face waxing pale is because the world's making fun of him because they don't get this stuff. But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name. This is God speaking and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. So eventually everyone gets the chance, especially those who've made the covenant people or made the covenant and become the people of God. Um, but eventually everyone has the chance to learn doctrine. Uh, now, not everyone is going to accept it, but everyone will have the chance to learn and uh, be edified and sanctified by those who have spoken out of the dust. But again, that's going to be a much future event because that ties in with uh, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ. Yes. That's, that's a millennial thing. That's yes. Way back. So here he is talking about redeemed of Abraham. He's talking about the past, the, the house of Abraham and the, and the covenants that were made behind him or, you know, before his time, he sees his children, the work of his hands, these things that are happening now. And then eventually they're going to, the house of Israel, the house of Jacob is going to be redeemed, but that doesn't, the full amount of that happening doesn't happen until the end of the world. That's yeah. way in the future. Yep. So again, yeah, there we go. That we're seeing the, we're seeing the Isaiah, like Moses and other prophets, sees the whole perspective beginning to end. And he's trying to tell you that. He's like, hey, if you pay attention, if you read the, the books, read the words of the book, if you understand the what the, the world understands as gibberish, you're going to be part of that redemption process. Eventually it's all going to happen, but you can do it now. But the the Lord's program is not going to be frustrated. Abraham's covenants will come to pass. Amen. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, that that wraps up uh, in the the uh, Isaiah twenty nine. Anything else you want to add to that? I like that these that we you group these two together here because this is one. First, the it's the woe to the northern kingdom. You guys are in trouble. Blah blah blah. And then and then woe to Jerusalem or the southern kingdom, right? Uh, Judah and a little bit of Benjamin. You guys need to do this. So these two really go together because it's one of the same sermon, just two different people. We break them up into chapters, but it's really meant to be together. So I'm glad that we Absolutely. put it together. Well, Carrie, thanks so much. Is anything else you want to add before we, uh, before we uh, wrap this up? No, nope. let's just keep letting them speak to us out of the dust. Excellent. All right. So get out there and commune with your ancestors and with the Lord at the same time as we read these scriptures and as we, uh, as we learn more about the lessons from those that have gone before us and what they can do. And, and hopefully we don't make the same mistakes, learn from their mistakes before we make those. So yeah, Carrie, yeah. thanks again for letting me come on and, and host this. And thanks for your excellent information. Uh, please, if you're, if you like what's happening here, um, like subscribe, do all the things that help other people understand the same thing and check out some of, of Carrie's um, information on uh, uh, out of the dust.org and out of the dust Facebook or uh, Facebook. And then I have this little book here called Let's Talk About the Book of Abraham, which talks about a little bit of this. Um, I just got that at the Desert Book the other day. And um, I, I think you should pick that up because it also references it a little bit in here, the Professor Anton thing. So, um, yeah. which is part of it. so there's a lot more to learn out there. Go out and share this with people so that we can get the word out and they can also benefit from the, benefit from the scriptures. All right. That's all for me. Thank you. See you later.